Kantar has researched and shown that by 2030, more than half of all consumers are going to be what they call eco-consumers. So these are people that when they're going to make purchases, they're specifically thinking about the ESG implications of the businesses they're working for. This week, we are brought to you by Attest. Attest is a consumer research platform that enables brands to make customer understanding a competitive advantage with continuous insights. By combining unparalleled speed and data quality with on-demand research guidance, the platform makes it simple and fast to uncover opportunities with consumer data and grow without guesswork. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative and this is a weekly show where I have the pleasure and the privilege of interviewing some of our industry's leaders about what they think the future of the industry has in store for us. And this week I'm on a call with Austin Roebuck, who is Customer Communications and Sustainability at the Coca-Cola Company. Austin, for anyone who doesn't know you, can you give us a bit of a background on who you are and what you do? Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. It's so great to be with you. Big fan of the show. Yeah, so my background, uh, I actually came out of university thinking I was going to work in politics. And what I realized really quickly was that it wasn't so much like the TV show House of Cards, and it was a lot more like a sort of school cafeteria food fight, and that that wasn't for me long term. So I got a weird opportunity to go do government relations at a major corporation, Yamaha Motor Corporation. And for whatever reason, they situated their government relations department within their marketing department. And I've thought on that a lot of times, how that happened, but I'm so glad it did because it opened up a lot of doors for me. So for a while, I was sort of this government relations, you can almost think lobbying type person. But over time, I was able to take on new responsibilities and I was really able to branch out into that marketing world. And I realized a lot of these sort of values that we have in marketing of making your stakeholders feel special and heard and messaged to in just the right ways. I learned those skills in government relations and I was able to apply them to marketing. And so I fell in love with the world of marketing and really marketing communications. And uh, the last bit of the story is that I've always been a huge Coca-Cola fan. My dad was a Coca-Cola glass bottle collector before I was born. So since I was a little kid, I just thought Coca-Cola was cool. We had Coca-Cola stuff in my house. And one day, sort of the recruiter reaches out and I get an opportunity to go apply my skills at Coke. And that's how I got to where I am today. Wow, man. That We haven't had a, a story, a backstory, an origin story that talks about Coke and politics before. So in that career, what has been that new belief or behavior that has had a big impact on your work life and your career? Yeah. So, you know, coming from that sort of political mindset, it's really easy to transpose that to sort of the corporate world and to start seeing everything through a lens of office politics and sort of leveraging to get toward uh, your place in your career that you want to go to. I studied uh, Western philosophy in school and Machiavelli maybe made a little bit too much sense to me. You know, if I'm just being honest, it was sort of this idea of how do we try and get what we want out of life? How do we seize the day? And, you know, as I got older, as I, uh, you know, had a family of my own, as I went through some life experiences, I realized that 
there was more to life and, and there was more to the value of people around me than just sort of trying to um, get get what you wanted in your career. And I, it was never so um, so intentionally thinking about how you're interacting with people, but just slowly a hardening of how you're thinking through things. And one day I came across this quote that blew me away and it was C.S. Lewis, who's sort of a, a English philosopher who lived during World War II. He wrote about everything from war to love. A lot of people know him for the Chronicles of Narnia. He said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that sort of blew my mind because up until this point, I had always been thinking that humility basically meant saying, I'm not capable. I don't actually have skills that are bringing value. I need to always default to the other person. And that just didn't jive with me. But what I started to realize was, no, this is actually, this is how you unlock servant leadership. And this is how you can turn around and just think of others more frequently than you're thinking about yourself. And since I unlocked that in my career, um, it's been a total night and day difference. I mean, everything from my attitude and my joy each day when I'm getting up and coming into the office to actually how effective I am in the workplace and how effective my colleagues and teams around me are. Um, it's, it's really been a game changer. As I s explored the quote a little more, I found sort of a follow-up quote that he sat, had. And he said basically that if you meet a humble man, um, he will be, he will not be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you had to say. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He won't be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And I really think that's sort of a secret to um, happiness in life and career success that has just totally reframed my worldview over the last several years. Can I ask you to be specific about when you've applied that thinking and what was the, uh, the benefit and how can you attribute it to that mindset shift? Yeah, absolutely. So Coca-Cola, uh, the company I work for, has gone through sort of an organizational shift in the last several years where we now work in what's called a networked model. And so the value of a networked model is that it's less focused on sort of hierarchy and, and matrix and more on bringing the right people together at any given moment to have an impact. And sort of this change in my mentality lined up with this change in our corporate structure at, at just the right moment. So working in a networked fashion really means that you're not focusing on job title or, um, you know, next steps after a project. What you're focusing on is having the most high power team you can possibly have at any given moment. So what I'm able to do now with this new mindset is come into a project and think about uh, who are going to be the most valuable people to bring into this project. And I'm no longer threatened, right? I'm not thinking about my own career and gosh, what if I bring all these other people on who are going to get more credit than myself for a project? But instead, I'm thinking who are going to be able to serve our key stakeholders in the best way and um, bring them together and work in a way where we're just sort of all um, one team speaking at 
um, equal levels. Some people are newer to the organization. Some have been here for decades and we're just able to partner to drive the work. Um, and one of the major shifts that I think we'll get into in a little bit has been trying to drive sustainability uh, with our own organization, our suppliers, our customers, our consumers. And I don't think that a um, non-networked way of working can really achieve that. But if you come in and you're thinking of others as uh, more important than yourself, you're able to unlock a lot of potential and hear ideas in new ways that maybe otherwise you would have been resistant to. Well, that's a, a lovely quote and, and thanks for bringing that to life. So I need you to move on away from philosophy a little and more practical now. So what I'd like to know is what is the marketing tip? that you share most often and find yourself saying on regular intervals that made an impact on your career and others? Yeah, I think that the main tip uh, that's changed my uh, work life has been that uh, what gets measured gets done. That's something we've heard a lot, but often it's framed as if uh, creativity is one side of the spectrum and measurement is the other side of the spectrum. And instead, this is uh, saying that what gets measured fuels creativity. And so the idea there being that when you are looking at your operations metrics and you're seeing uh, certain areas that are underperforming, that's what should drive the creativity of your advertising. That's what should drive the creativity of your um, revenue growth management, of the way that you're going to market, of really what you're customer value proposition is. And that's actually what can fuel the creativity as opposed to um, seeing them as sort of a um, hampering of how you can drive change. This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Manfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. So we're roughly at the halfway stage now. So what we're going to do is move on to your shiny new objects. So what is your shiny new object? How would you describe it? And why do you think it represents the future of the industry? Yeah. So my shiny new object is really ESG. It goes by a lot of different names. It can be corporate social responsibility. It can just be sustainability. But ESG really is the concept of environment, society, and governance and how those three interplay to really make a responsible business. And I think this is the future of our industry because uh, Kantar has researched and shown that by 2030, more than half of all consumers are going to be what they call eco-consumers. So these are people that when they're going to make purchases, they're specifically thinking about the ESG implications of the businesses they're working for. So for those who aren't familiar, um, the E is environment, and that's thinking through things like minimizing the waste that your company or products are producing, climate impact, responsible sourcing of inputs, 
responsible transportation of finished goods, deforestation, water pollution, things like that. The society element is around job creation, foundation giving, diversity and inclusion, the training and development of your own employees, respecting privacy, respecting human rights. And then the governance is really about having the auditing and accountability capabilities in position um, to make sure that your corporation is living this out, stuff like anti-bribery and transparency best practices. And then even if you really want to get deep into the weeds, it can be tying senior executive compensation to ESG performance. So one thing I'm really curious about is the the Cantor fact that by 2030, we're all going to be, what was the phrase? Was it sustainable shoppers or what was the phrase yeah, you so, used? Sorry. Um, so can- so, but what was the phrase you used? Yeah, it's called eco-consumers. And this is from a report that Cantar did called Who Cares Who Does? And they really, at a global level across many markets, looked into what is driving consumer behavior. And they learned that concern for the environment is a huge element that's emerging in consumer purchase intent. And they estimate that over half of all consumers are going to be active, eco-active, eco-consumers by 2030. So... The question I have is that, is this going to be conscious or is this going to be table stakes? Yeah. So I think that um, consumers are going to gradually find themselves moving into this way of thinking. The idea being that this, this is the future. I was speaking to a senior level executive at a company that all of your listeners would be familiar with recently. And he said, look, we're not going to do sustainability just because it's what everybody else is doing. We'll only do it if it's what makes sense for our business. And at first I thought, okay, that's kind of like saying we're only going to make money. We're not going to try and make money just because everyone else is trying to make money because this really is the future. But then I thought more deeply on his point and he's right. You don't do sustainability. You don't do just ESG just like everyone else does it. It's not a cookie cutter thing. It's something you want to actually incorporate into your brand edge and something to differentiate you in the marketplace. So the way consumers are going to kind of start seeing this is one, it's going to be something that leading brands are just doing. And it's going to become sort of secondhand that it's something they're experiencing in the marketplace. Two, when you think about, for example, fast-moving consumer goods, retailers are going to actually start uh, prizing sustainability in their retail space. They're going to start giving favorable uh, positioning in the grocery store and in their advertising to these more sustainable brands. And so consumers are going to get uh, to where this is just sort of a standard expectation. And then the final area would be um, ESG is an area where government is paying attention and government can even drive change at times. So um, as that conversation continues to move forward, more brands are going to sort of have their hand even forced to pay close attention to ESG. And this is why it makes me think this isn't marketing, because if everyone's doing it, then it's not a point of difference to your point. It's 
if everyone's like has um and thanks for going through all the different elements of of what esg could encompass but if everyone's doing all of those things then there's nothing to talk about it 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 becomes table stakes so there are there are businesses now that are getting the pr value of of leading with a, a you know an esg strategy from either, and it becomes marketing but um, I, I don't see how it's going to be a point of difference if everyone's doing it or am i missing the point that's a great question tom i actually do think that it's really an opportunity for marketing leaders to differentiate their brand and gain market share sort of in the near term. So if you're if you're saying that sort of every company is going to try and be a responsible corporate citizen, I do think that we're moving in that direction and just simply being a responsible actor is not going to be enough to win in the marketplace. But you can kind of think that there's two elements to how this drives your marketing. There's sort of what you want to maintain and what you want to magnify when it comes to ESG. So what you want to maintain is all the basics that you were just describing, that everyone is doing this. Everyone is trying to have less waste production. Everyone is trying to um, be a, have less pollution. You know That's not going to win in the marketplace, but you have to maintain that at a really high level because it's going to be a risk potential if you don't, and it could hurt your brand reputation if you don't. But then there's what you want to magnify. And this is going to be specifically what differentiates your brand in the marketplace. So, for example, if you want to tie your brand to really having um, diversity and inclusion in all of your advertising, um, that's going to be something that's going to win you brand edge. If If you want to be the brand that is actively leading on sustainable packaging and new packages that consumers haven't seen before that are better for the environment, that's going to win you brand edge. And over time, the competition will continue and uh, competitors will catch up. But this is something we're used to in the marketplace. And we'll have to continue to think, how can we strive to be the most um, environmentally or societally friendly brands in the environment for what our consumers are looking for? And the data will have to lead us to that. There's uh, lots of great studies out there that are looking at what consumers want. And of course, each organization has their own internal research on what their consumers want. Really finding this nexus of ESG, what your consumers are looking for, and bringing that to life in the marketplace in a way that surprises and delights them is going to have um, positive benefits to the marketing results you're looking for, like driving purchase intent. So. I was sat in a bar a couple of months ago and it was, a, it was in a bar that was run by the beer company Brewdog. I don't know how familiar you are with these guys, um, but sort of very uh, innovative brewer uh, sort of the last 20 years in the UK. And on the, all over the menu, talking about the fact that there's a Brewdog forest and how the fact that they are um, net carbon positive, right? You know, so the, the, the not neutral, whereas at the weekend I was in, I can't where I was, but I think I was at a bank or something and it said, you know, we're on the we're on the journey to, you know, to net neutral in 2030. And it made me think, is there going to be a point where the point of difference might be how, how net positive you are? Is there going to be this kind of showing off of brands that, you know, we're net positive by 5% or 10%? Because once everyone's at like net zero, then it kind of becomes nothing. So I'm curious, you know, do you think that it, will it go even further? Will it become a, a competition between brands? So I really see that there's kind of two types of brands that I'll that I'll hold up as 
as options. Of course, there's lots of nuance here, but you can go sort of the Ben and Jerry's route, which is sort of a you know well-known Unilever ice cream brand where they very much incorporated ESG into their very brand identity. Or you can go kind of more the Microsoft route. Now, when you think of Microsoft, ESG is probably not the very first thing you think of. But they are really transforming their business model to where they're actually bringing products to the marketplace. They're going to help their uh, business customers be more sustainable. They're publishing sustainability guides on how you can uh, pivot your business to be more sustainable. And then they've also done all the things you're referencing, like having one of the most ambitious carbon reduction goals. They're going to be um, zero carbon by 2030 is their desire. And that's something that um, is really industry leading in many ways. So I, I think those are the two options that brands can go on. So yes, some brands will try and go, um, well, we're 10% higher uh, you know, carbon reduction than the next brand. But I don't know that that's what is really going to resonate for the consumers. Maybe for certain uh, products that that's right for them, maybe for a brewery, for example, that would be a good fit. I think it's really going to be more that storytelling around impact, you know, showing how um, lives are being changed or communities are being improved or the planet is healthier through your activities. Um, and then how that, how you're doing that in a unique way that ties back to your business in particular. So you were talking about breweries. One of the brands that I've seen do this very well is an organization called the main beer company. They've made, um, award-winning IPAs that some people say are the best IPAs in the world, uh, but really their entire brand identity is around uh, sustainability and giving back to the community. And it's hard to think of that brand without those two assets. So I see it less as I'm giving back 4%, my metrics 4% more in this area than that area. I think that's important. You know, if you're thinking about a corporation and trying to bring in the best possible talent. If you're thinking about having credibility with external stakeholders, you're going to want performance on the metrics. But really, it's the storytelling and tying that into how it's a unique proposition your brand is delivering that's going to um, resonate most in the marketplace. Well, unfortunately, Austin, we're at the end of the podcast now. So what I'm going to do is ask you, if anyone would like to get in touch with you about ESG, C.S. Lewis, or anything else you've talked about, how would you like them to do that and where? Yeah, I think the best place is LinkedIn. I would love to continue this conversation with anyone who's listening on any of the topics we've discussed today, in particular around ESG. You know, I'd love to share with you some of the value of finding NGO partners that can help vet this process the value of running an enterprise risk assessment and really even striving to be the person in your organization that is leading cross-functional projects that can tie this into your brand and really make an impact in the marketplace. So find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you have all my information. I'd love to connect with you then. Austin, thank you so much. Thanks, Tom. Hi, just before you go, 
I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.